it seems like in your last five or six books, you've been writing about things that are just catnip to me, whether it's whether it's Pocket the Fool from Lear in all the other Shakespeare plays, or whether it's the creation of art in Sacre Bleu, or whether it's the history of San Francisco. Surely you must be thinking of other readers when you decide what to write about, right? Well, I think I think the biggest thing I'm thinking about is what can I write without having to travel or really go out of the house? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 805, Christopher Moore's Razzmatazz. Christopher Moore's latest comic novel, Razzmatazz, is a sequel to his 2018 novel, Noir, which depicts San Francisco's seedy but also fabulous underbelly in post-war 1940 San Francisco. Razzmatazz is funny, of course. It jumps around in time. It's charming, thrilling, and surprisingly moving. And coming out of the pandemic as painfully slowly as we are, it's a wonderfully satisfying novel about reinvention. Chris started our conversation by talking about how the research he began began into the history of San Francisco when he wrote Noir, fed the writing of Razzmatazz. There's just such cool things that you learn when you when you dive into any uh, any subject at any depth at all. You, you just find those those cool little elements that that you you can sort of illuminate. And and my reaction is you know, make funny. And and so that was that's why I pick any subject that I can I pick usually, um, although I have to say there's there's usually a point and that's where I am with my next book is how did I ever think I could make this funny, um, and yeah, yeah, and and, and with Rasmataz it's the uh, when I started writing about the Tong Wars I wanted I really wanted to write about the. The, the agricultural Chinatowns that sprung up in the late 1800s in San Francisco or in the Bay Area that I didn't know about. So I thought other people will think that's cool, you know, because we all know about Chinatown in New York and Vancouver and San Francisco and, and L.A. But I didn't know there were agricultural Chinatowns. Um, nor did, nor did and, I. I mean, I went straight to Google to go, wait, is the town of Locke a real place? Yes, it is. Well, and not only that, I mean, you, you're kind of from the East Bay. It's, you could throw a stick from where you grew up to hit lock. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so anyway, I wanted I wanted to, to cover that. But then as, as, as I was going in there, uh, so much of that period in uh, the Chinese community was involved in sex slavery. Mm. Um, and I was like, I, and, and I was about knee deep in it going, this is going to be interesting to try and make funny. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just sort of plotted through it and tried to, you know, look, here's an animal talking. Um, but <laughs> but that, that always, I mean, it's funny. You do write about serious things and you always manage to, to make it funny. And of course I always find that the comedy sometimes can come more easily when the, when, when the subject matter is, is so serious. You need the relief so badly. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think that's what I resent about uh, some uh, some drama um, uh, that that you know, and you know, movies, television, uh, theater, where it's like 
you can continue into this morass, but right now you could kill with a yeah. funny line. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you, you just feel like you need that relief from time to time. Somebody, and I think, I think really good stuff, or at least stuff that resonates with me, they do that. That is they pick that moment when you're like, I can't take it anymore. And then there's just a little bit of comedy for relief. Um, and, and, well, and what I realized, too, as you're talking about this, is that part of the comedy comes from, yes, people saying good, funny lines, but it also comes from the heroes and the characters in your stories or stories generally taking action and being heroic in a way that is wish fulfillment, that we we all wish we could act this way if we were in right. such dire straits. And right. it makes the characters active and urgent and heroic and funny. Well, and you hope that they that they rise to their abilities. I mean, I always like to try and take characters who don't really. I mean, and this this applies to all of my books, the Shakespeare books, the art books. Any is a character who isn't prepared for what they're into. They they haven't, you know, they're not Jack Reacher or or uh, whatever Tom Clancy's character is. Um, they're they just are in a situation that they have absolutely no preparation for. So they bring those aspects of their life that they do have into that situation. In Razmatash, you have uh, the two women who were ship welders during the war. And yeah. they sort of, they apply what they, you know, in several different ways, they apply what they learned in, in the war to these different problems they have to solve. And, um, and, and so that's, that's sort of, and I don't know, how, I don't know how I figured out that, that Sammy, who is a bartender, is going to learn how to solve murders. And even he's going through the book going, I'm not really qualified for this, but everybody thinks that he's, you know, whacked this police uh, officer, this, this, vice captain in san francisco and so his his reputation precedes him as a badass and he didn't earn it at all by any means you know but that's a but that's sort of a classic noir character isn't it a, a guy right. who's in in over his head exactly in the really classic like the jim thompson james m Kane um books and we may have talked about this before the real noir stuff not not the stuff that's humphrey bogart and jimmy cagney um is is a character who's completely out of their depth yeah. You know, in, in Jim Thompson, it's very often like a, a hotel desk clerk and then a dame walks in, you know, and it's a guy who's on the desk at two in the morning. Right. You know, so he's just going to smoke cigarettes and listen to the radio. And, and this dame walks in and just destroys his life, what little life he has. And that's sort of the, the mode I went with with these books was just somebody who absolutely has no precedent for involving and, and in fact in Rasmataz you really see the team of them there's a whole team of guys that are just working mugs and and they're thrown into these situations having to solve these these sort of grandiose problems well and that was one of the many pleasures of of, of Rasmataz is that it is um it's 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 so diverse and so filled with these interesting characters it's sort of as rich and diverse as San Francisco is in a way, and you have all these great, and you shift points of view too, which I can't remember whether that's different from noir or not. But it, it's not just the the noirish, you know, mug speaking in the first person about how uh, how great this dame is or that terrible that cop is or whatever. Yeah, I think I think that that's something that I I developed the confidence over the years when you're when you're starting out as a as a writer and you're in workshops and stuff. Everybody gets. Um, sort of corralled into this point of view uh, uh, 
I guess, corral or, or you know, killing shoot where they just can't step out of it. And, right. and that's where you end up with these awkward scenes of like characters. They, she surveyed herself in the mirror. Not bad for an older dame, she thought. Yeah, sure, she could, that kind of stuff that where you're just so trapped in the point of view that, that you're making the character do, you know, crawl through hoops. And I, I don't know at what point in my career I went, you know what? I can do anything I want. I'm the boss can, here. <laughs> yeah, I can have I can have you know the the pigs who are three blocks away in a in a corral in Chinatown narrating a story if I want. I can have anybody come in at any time and in any voice narrate a story. And and it, it's ninety five percent confidence, mm. and it's but it but it's and then five percent just uh performance just you know okay can i make this happen and it doesn't jar the reader so bad that they're not that they're thrown out of the story and when i when i give uh, early copies of the book to you know my wife and the few people that i have as beta readers i'm like that's all i want to know what throws you out of the story and if it yeah. throws you out of the story it's got to be fixed yeah um and 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 so doing things like the multiple points of view i wanted in this uh we we don't have any point of view care uh, pieces from the cheese the woman in the book, and in 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 noir. But in this we do. I wanted to to because really I, I for my mind the book is about her. The book is about the you know in the first in the first book in noir you really get a lot of male gaze look at her because she's a bombshell yeah. and and she sort of knows it but it but waves it off as like yeah that's another thing. Yeah. Um, and and we we get a bit of her history as sort of a, a war widow and and entertaining sailors during the war and welding on ships, but we don't get her point of view. Yeah. And you know, and she's she's you know a gum gum, what's her gum cracking smart ass through most yeah. of it. You know, she's just as as sharp as can. She's got moxie, is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> that dame's so, got moxie. <laughs> yeah. But but in but in Rasmutaz, she actually like gets to put on the the hard boiled detective voice yeah. uh, of of Stilton de Cheese. Yeah, and and that was so fun because we have enough history of her to know what point of view she's coming from, and then and then she puts on a hat, you know, she puts on a fedora and a men's jacket, and now she's out being a private detective, you know. And um, or pretending to be a private detective, and, and so it just adds another element of, of of fun to it. It's like, okay, this is what a dame in the 1940s would perceive as if she's the tough guy, you know, having had no real experience, having been the tough guy, you know, and and the the cheese makes a pretty good tough guy. She really does. Dratch, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Well, 
Where can you RSC the RSC? Our next performance is later this month, May 27th and 28th, performing the complete history of comedy abridged at the downtown Cowtown at the Isis Theater in Fort Worth, Texas. Unfortunately, for a number of reasons, we will not be performing at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe this summer like we thought we would be, but we will be doing more performances of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, in a few places around the U.S. this fall of 2022. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed, at Reduced, for the latest information. And now back to my conversation with novelist Christopher Moore, whose newest book, Razzmatazz, drops next week. We were talking about one of my favorite themes in his new novel. Part of the mystery is that somebody is killing the drag kings of San Francisco. So you have people... um, Assuming identities that maybe they weren't born with throughout the book. Right. And it's great fun seeing these new identities become the real thing. And I thought that was, that's really wonderful. Yeah, it was, it, it was fun. I mean, the whole drag king thing, which I touched on in, in noir, was just something that I didn't know about. When I was researching noir, I discovered the world of the drag kings and and how it was such a big thing in San Francisco in the 40s and 50s, and how toward the end of the 40s and into the 50s, the police really cracked down on the drag king clubs and tried to shut them down. And 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 I talk about the three articles law, the masquerade laws, where Mm -hmm. if, if you were a woman dressed as a man, you had to have three feminine articles of clothing on you or you were in violation of the law. And, and so, um, and, and they really were strict about this. They would do these big raids on the, on the drag king clubs. And, and I, I just, I thought it was an interesting perspective, especially as uh, right now, you know, the, the sort of emergency of the trans community in consciousness, in the modern consciousness is, is so out front right now. And I thought, well, this is, you know, I found out this is ongoing, you know, for 70 years, 80 years, you know, so. You're really rooting for that relationship. I mean, all the you're rooting for all the main characters, but I was really rooting for the the relationship between, you know, Sammy Tutos and uh, Stilton the Cheese. I mean, they're mm. they're a great couple. They respect each other's uh, lives, respect each other's boundaries. They they can't keep their hands off each other. They give each other the old razzmatazz, and I love that title too. Uh, was that the first thing that you had? It's such a great fun word to say. Where did you come up with razzmatazz? Well, it, it in uh, I don't know how I came up with it. I know that there's a line in noir where where uh, Stilton is, is and and Sammy are having a fallout after they've been out to Playland at the beach, which was a real place in in San Francisco. I went there as a kid. Yeah, just treat me like that after giving me the razzmatazz in the sand like a hobo all night, and and the. The idea of just using razzmatazz as sort of a, a catch-all for for sex um, was just—it just was so harmless and funny yeah. to me, um, you know. And and but yet fancy and jazzy, and, so, <laughs> and, and, and 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 it just fit into the rhythm of the way the character spoke so much. So when I went to um, when I when I was going to title the book and a lot very often I won't title the books until the end you know sometimes I have a title and nothing else mm-hmm. and I think the I think Rasmataz was originally going to be called the rain dragon and and then something else and and um 
and I won't always settle on it. You and I have talked about the next book I'm going to do, and it's like, and I'll go, this is what it's about. And you go, is that going to be the title? Like, <laughs> I don't have any idea. Um, and uh, so so I, did, I think I just defaulted to Razzmatazz, even though I don't, I'm not sure it was, it wasn't as appropriate for the what's going on in the book. Yeah. Um, because it's even less razzmatazzy than the first book, but <laughs> it just, is, it seems like razzmatazz just implies a lot of shit going on. And, <laughs> and which would, which would, and, which would make it a good title for all your books, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I thought it's a, it's a little long for one of my one word title books. It sort of fills up the cover um, horizontally, <laughs> but you know, I hope, I hope people go, okay, I'll give it another look. The razzmatazz. No, it's a great. It's a, it. It you. I well. It's it's the characters are reinventing themselves, and you have reinvented that word. <laughs> I guess so. People, you know, I, I get uh, emails and and posts on on social media from people that say that's the only way my husband and I refer to it anymore. And it's like, yeah, you can say it in front of the kids. Yeah. Uh, I gotta. We gotta go in the other room and give your mom the razzmatazz. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm late, honey. I was giving your mom the old razzmatazz. <laughs> my great great grandfather came to san francisco in the 1850s and i was born on the 54th anniversary of the san francisco earthquake in 1906 oh, wow so i was very attuned to all this and to all the events that were going on in the book i'm also a sucker for these multi-generational epics which right. is which is this is not unique. You've done this before in books. Sacre Bleu covers thousands right. of years. Yeah. Do you like working on that big canvas? Or do you don't even think about it? You just go, I can go wherever I want. Um, it's, it's more difficult. I, I'm, I'm, you're trying to think of, I like the result if it works. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you, you really, one of the things that I have always found uh, difficult in, in writing, which is, doesn't mean I, I can't do it, but transition is tough, you know, to get people from point A to point B from, you know, 10,000 BC to, <laughs> you know, to 1967 or whatever it is. And this one, uh, of, of a lot of the book, I don't know how much, maybe a third takes place in, you know, turn of the 20th century, you know, the, yeah. say the 1880s to the, to 1906. And, um, and then the bulk of the book takes place in 1947. And, uh, and so it's just a jumping back and forth. And that was, and I could do that, as you said, with the point of view change mm -hmm. to going back to the character who's experiencing, who is uh, um, Eddie Mushu's uncle, who yeah. came over in the, in the 1890s to San Francisco as basically an indentured servant. Yeah. Um, and, and ended up in the Tong War. So, so you could use the characters, that transition. And, and when I have that, I don't mind it. It's just a matter of finding, and it, and it allows you to sort of, this is getting really nuts and bolts inside baseball thing, but it allows you to sort of uh, sustain suspense because you've got a storyline going along and it's in 1947 and it's not just in 1947, it's on Wednesday in 1947 at, at noon and something happens and then you go, meanwhile, 50 years before that and, yeah. and uh and you go to that and so and the reader is sort of like well shit now i have to find out what happened here so i can get back to finding out what happened in 1947 so it's a, an artifice that actually helps you in increase the, the the suspense of the story without wearing on people's attention span 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and narrative urgency and all of that because you finish one chapter not not being able to wait to get to the next chapter back to the other storyline. I love that right. step. Well, and in this one having having more or less a team of like four five characters that we that each one has a minor story and a minor goal but that gets achieved along the way of, of it it allowed me to sort of experiment with the something I learned from from streaming television was that you don't just hang suspense at the end of a chapter you also reward people you give them something to smile about occasionally you let people give them a win and yeah. I had never really thought about that until I, I think I learned it from watching Mozart in the Jungle on on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm like, this is beautiful. Everybody, at least once per episode, somebody gets a win, and you know, and it makes you feel so much better as the consumer of that media. And I thought, well, I'm going to try and do that in a book, which I had never really thought about before. You know, mm. it was usually sort of some big battle royale at the end, and then it was like everything's fine and it's cool, and we solved it. We killed the monster and solved the problem. Um, and and so this one is a little more episodic in that way without you know having distinct episodes that begin and end and then that's all you're looking at you know they kind yeah. of overlap each other i love that way of thinking about it. giving giving people a win and at the end of each chapter pointing forward to what's what's the next thing that's going to happen right right yeah. right yeah we 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 solved milo the cab driver's problem now how do we solve eddie mushu's driving school problem now yeah. how do we so solve the problem that that uh uh, Thelonious Jones has a crush on the new jazz singer at the club. Now, how do we solve the problem that, you know, Sammy needs to solve the murder? Now, how do we solve the problem that Stilton and, and her friend Myrtle are building some mysterious thing out at the, the Hunter's Point uh, shipyard? You know, and, and each one of those is its own story arc that interweaves inter with the other stories in the book. When did you discover that, that Eddie Mushu's uncle had this great backstory that could be so useful. This relatively minor character in noir becomes mm -hmm. this compelling additional protagonist in Razmataz. And was that just a great light bulb moment of, wait, I, look what I've got here. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was, Austin. It was just, uh, and I, gosh, I, I, when I think about doing this with you, I'm thinking like people that haven't read the book are going to be like, are we doing what we're supposed to do? We just get people curious to re read the book. But, but so. between us as, as writers, I, I, it, it really just occurred to me, this, can, this guy can be my vehicle. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I've always defaulted, and this was because I had a great teacher um, early in my career who, who always, you know, said everything stems from character. So, you know, these are things I wanted to talk about. This, these are things I wanted to have happen. And, and Uncle Ho is this great vehicle for that, you know, was to, to tap into whole, the whole how did Chinatown happen, you know? Yeah. And, and, and how did it become the biggest community of Chinese outside of China in the world? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so to answer that question, you know, it's not compelling unless it's through the point of view of a person. And, and you know, there are, I, granted, it's a little uh, disingenuous, maybe, to be like this middle-aged white guy writing about this ethnic community that established itself, you know, 150 years ago or whatever. Right. But um, it it. But nevertheless, I'm really interested in it, and I hope other people are really interested in it. And Uncle Ho is the perfect foil for that because, like the other characters in noir, he's just a mug trying to get through life. 
He's yeah. just getting from day to day. He needs to figure out a place to sleep and where to get dinner. And, mm. and, um, and, and that's it. And then all this grand stuff that happens to him and every other character is the result of, I'm just trying to get to the next day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that makes it compelling. It does for me as a, as a writer and a reader. So I hope it does for, for readers too. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. You can pre-order Razzmatazz wherever you get your books or, or just hit the bookstore when it drops next week. Follow Chris on Twitter at the author guy, or check out his entire oeuvre, as it were, at his website, chrismore.com. Then send us your changing point of view via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. Thanks, as always, to lovable mook Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Bud Grasky. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Rachel Dratch, who was just nominated for a Tony Award this week for her role in the world premiere of POTUS, now on Broadway. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 805 2415ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Well, so we've been talking a long time, so I'll do the reduced version of this podcast, which is just go buy Razzmatazz and read it right away because it's really fun and entertaining. All right. All right. Thank you. that's, That's a perfect synopsis. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.